Today's episode of Sports Headlines is presented by Podgo. What's Podgo? Well, Warner, Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. Providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space, so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. So you're telling me that if I include an ad from Podgo, they're going to tell me up front how much I'll make? Of course. If you apply today, actually, to become a member, you'll be immediately connected with advertisers that fit your audience. Really? So it'll be specified for my show and my type of podcast? Yeah. So all you have to do is go to podgo.co, P-O-D-G-O dot co, C-O. And when you apply, make sure you add our podcast, Sports Headlines, and the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application. All right. I'll do that as soon as I can. Yep, again, that's podgo.co, P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. Let's get back to today's episode. You're listening to the most authentic place in sports. It's the Sports Headline Show. Here are your hosts, Sean Davis and Warner Sanker. What is going on, everybody? Great day today. Sunny outside where we are. Feeling good. It's February 2nd. Second day of Black History Month, which once again is the shortest month of the year. Because that makes sense. Um, We've got a great day planned for you guys. Um, We have a few guests joining the show. We've got one during this segment of the show, and then we've got one coming at 1.30. I believe that'll be um not not live correct sean uh yeah that will not be live okay um wait we good Warner. give me one second oh there we go okay all right we're back we're good all right sorry ladies and gentlemen well welcome back to sports headlines it is a feel good tuesday um every day is a feel-good Tuesday. Every day is a feel-good day. Thank you guys for the beat. Sports headlines is today, Tuesday, um, February, I must say January, February 2nd, 11.02 a.m. Thank you guys for tuning in, 11.30 a.m. Eastern time. So in approximately 28 minutes, uh, we'll be joined by Matt Brooks, reporter for the Nets Daily, covering the Brooklyn Nets. Got to talk about some basketball stuff with him about how the Nets do not play any defense. (laughs) Um, and then, so yeah, having a fun show. So we guess we're going to go through some headlines. Might do our headline five segment in the first half of the show. Any of the day, feel good moment of the day. Get that stuff out of the way. And then, see, a lot, a lot of ways and days. Um, and then we'll get into our episode with Matt we, Brooks. We like to rhyme here on uh, sports headlines. Yeah. Um, so let's start with feel good moment of the day. <laughs> <laughs> So disclaimer, there is uh, a level of profanity. Could not find a, a clean version of this. But so there is some level of profanity in this. So if you guys would rather not um, hear the profanity, skip about, I would say about a minute in advance. Um, well, they can't skip it. It's live, but we can always mute it. On, on the podcast, like just just mute the tab for about 30 seconds or while I'm sharing it. And, um, and yes, yeah, so actually this first clip, so last night in L.A., the Los Angeles Lakers, I'm not L.A., in Atlanta, the Los Angeles Lakers played the Atlanta Hawks, and there was an altercation between LeBron, Goat, James, and an Atlanta Hawks fan. By the way, it sucks to be a Hawks fan nowadays. 
Um, but here, here, here's the altercation. Get of the Cavaliers and set you know, LeBron, LeBron off in Cleveland. Obviously, but this is the woman right here, masked <laughs> in a global wow. pandemic. What the heck? Well, she's pointing like that one Come on now. with the lady in the cap. <laughs> have some humility, okay? I know that's the right uh, saying there. And then after the game, LeBron James had something to say, and here's what he had to say on this situation. Paul and the COVID protocol, if fans can take off their masks to yell at a player. No, at the end of the day, that's, uh, I'm happy fans are back in the building. I miss that interaction. I need that interaction. We as players need that interaction. I don't feel like it was warranted to be kicked out. Um, there was a, 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 you know, a back and forth between two grown men and, and which, uh, uh, and, you know, we said our piece, he said his piece, I said my piece. And then when someone else jumped into it and, and, and said their piece, um, but I didn't, I didn't think they were, you know, should have been kicked out. Um, but they might have had a couple of drinks maybe, and they could have probably kept it going in the game, wouldn't have been about the game no more. So I think the referees did what they had to do. Um, and I don't I mean, it's, it's fine. I don't, I don't think, uh, you know, taking down the mask or whatever the case may be at that point in time, you know, would have harmed anybody but the people that was right next to her. I wasn't close enough to her. I don't think any of my teammates was close enough to him. Uh, maybe a couple of refs, maybe. So I hope they're I hope they're okay. Um, but you know, safety first. That is what LeBron James had to say in the situation. The funny part, <laughs> the funny part, is what the lady in the situation, I believe her name is uh, Juliana uh, or Julian. I don't care. Julian Carlos. She's twenty five years old, and the guy that she is married to, his name is Chris Carlos. And um, yeah, by the way, the guy looks at least in his 40s. Like apparently um, he's a partner at the uh, Republican National District, uh, Distributing Company. Um, he has earned 30 years of industry experience since joining the, the company, his family business in 1985. So he is- So he's at least like probably 45. Right. He's not old. Right. He's at least in his mid forties. And that is. I mean, yeah. LeBron is basically too. So. LeBron's 30. So, hey, calm down. There will be no <laughs> slander of LeBron James on this show. I'm going to slander LeBron whenever I want to. But Warren's still a co-host. But let's, let's keep it going. But, um, and here's what his wife had to say after the game. Again, guys, a lot of profanity in this part of it. So if you guys want to skip it. By all, or just mute the tab for the, the clip is about 30 seconds. So if you guys want to skip or just mute us for about 30 seconds, by all means, go ahead. But NSFW, I guess, warning. You have been warned. If you keep listening, it's not my fault. Here we go. Here's what, here's what his wife had to say about the situation. Just got kicked out of the game for talking shit to LeBron James, for talking shit to my fucking husband. This is such fucking bullshit. Listen, let me tell you. LeBron James looked at my husband during the game and cussed him out. And I stood up and I go, don't fucking talk to my husband. Talk to my husband one more time and I will fuck you up. And he started fighting with me. He goes, shut your mouth, dumb bitch. And I go, you shut your fucking mouth, bitch. Okay. 
That I'll, this is what gets me. She said, "I will mess you up." Fill in the she blank. Will place mess. mess up, LeBron. LeBron better you. LeBron better keep his LeBron eyes open. Is, look, LeBron James. Go to sleep tonight, LeBron. She she's coming for you, buddy. With with those heels, she's going to spike you with one of them heels. LeBron James is a thirty-six-year-old, two hundred and sixty-pound freak of nature, and you're going to mess. LeBron, um, oh, uh, wait, physically? Oh, stop, knock it off. Well, well, here's the thing, though. LeBron is a male, and males have certain parts that females don't have. LeBron being very tall, that's right in punching range for her. By the way, I'm saying she's going to punch him in the scrotum. <laughs> here's what LeBron James said. Uh, he tweeted this after the game. And I, this is just an ongoing situation. He said, courtside Karens was mad, mad, and, uh, it's even prompted a response from Ball is Life. It's prompted a response from John Morant. Uh, this was a hilarious, to say the least, situation. This is our feel-good moment of the day. Just get a little laughing. Oh, my God. And also, really, Trash really talk is fun, man. Trash talk. It, it starts between LeBron or probably his husband. Her husband probably started it. By the way, LeBron, LeBron the husband back. is apparently a well-known LeBron hater. And he's a Hawks fan. How does that work? You're a Hawks fan. Of no, I guess LeBron has been eliminating the Hawks in the playoffs when he was in the East for eons. But still, how are you a Hawks fan, buddy? Come on now. But I mean, I, I just find that hard to believe. I don't believe that LeBron called her uh, out, of her, out of her name to that extent. I mean, I, I do believe, like, there was even footage of them, like, of him cussing them out, like, after, like, during the situation with the rest or kicking him out or whatever, saying, like, uh, Yo, steroid blank, always talking crap or whatever. Um, so I don't believe they called out her name to that extent. But this situation is funny to me. If you're taking this personal, I'm not taking this personal at all. This is just downright hilarious to me. Real good moment of the day. That that was funny when I when I saw that. I I, I didn't see the uh, I didn't see her Instagram story before <laughs> before like three minutes ago, but. But um, just trash talk in general. I enjoy it. That's what makes yeah, players like Jalen Ramsey on mic'd up so fun. Philip Rivers, the fact that he can talk so much trash but not <laughs> a single cuss word. Dang man, oh, really? Hey, hey, you got lit up that last drive. Hey, hey, shut up, <laughs> bro. You got lit up. That gummit. <laughs> I mean, he, he was running on the play clock trying to draw him off sides. And he, the Tennessee Titans guy, he said, "Hey, we're not falling for it." Yeah, and so Philip Rivers just turned to me and said, "Hey, you got you got you lit got, up. You got, <laughs> you got lit up last drive. You got he said, lit up the last play. Sit, sit yourself down, Dad Gummit." <laughs> uh, I think this is a perfect time to transition to idiot of the day. Um, here we go. This is these are my favorites right here, where we get somebody in sports media for saying something, or just, not, or not even necessarily sports media in some cases, just for saying something totally outrageous. So critical. So this is gonna break my heart. Any other day. Can we get this? Uh can we get the effects, please? Man, oh man, this is gonna break my heart because the guy who I'm about to call any other day, I have a lot of respect for them. Man, this is gonna break my heart. Let's hear any other day. Let's go. Idiot of the day. Any other day for February 2nd, 2021 goes to none other than Jalen Rose. Oh no. Come on, 81. 
Jalen Rose's idiot of the day. Now, again, this hurts me a little bit because I think so fondly of Jalen Rose. I, I respect the heck out of him, um, what he's done inside of the basketball community as an analyst for the most part. Um, I respect the whole heck of a lot of him. But let's get something straight, right? Dan Orlovsky, Orlovsky or whatever his name is. Orlovsky. Dan, you suck at names. Yes, man. I do. For example, right? He might know something about basketball, but would you? You're not gonna go. You might not gonna go get your basketball analysis from Dan Orlowski. Orlowski, dang it! You know what is? You're not gonna go get your basketball analysis from him. You're gonna go to Dan Orlowski for football, right? I mean, Dan Orlowski can say, "Hey, listen, man, LeBron's the best in the game right now. I, I really like how he's, but he's not gonna comment on like oh, DeAndre Hunter for the Hawks and saying like, "Hey, this is the next star, man. If he goes to this team." The teams, if he goes to the Nuggets, man, the Nuggets are going all the way. You wouldn't, you wouldn't trust that. Right. You don't go to basketball. You don't go to Dan Oblosky for basketball. You go to Dan Oblosky for football. Probably because he used to play quarterback. Right, right. Jalen Rose used to play in the NBA. He played in the NBA. I, I like, I like Jalen Rose, right? But this, ha, huh, man, oh, man. And by the way, when, when it comes to football, I don't get outside of, for football, especially outside of like the reporters, so like the main mainstream reporters, like Rappaport, Shefty, Pelezzo, um, crap. I feel like uh, like the team reporters. I don't get a lot of my an- analysis from mainstream analysts because Why? usually, I, I, because usually mainstream analysts do it for views, not necessarily for the quality of the analysis. Right. I'm looking at so, you, Skip Shannon, Skip and Shannon, Colin Cowherd, ESPN. Everybody. <laughs> Every, everybody. Except for sometimes I'll agree with a Dan Orlovsky. Sometimes I'll agree with uh, Ryan Clark. Yeah. But that's that's about it. That's I, about it. Other times those it. guys just say something totally obscene. Right. And then it's extra tough because I'm like, the slander I've seen of Matthew Stafford from even that's our crazy. own, Warren included, it's like, what the what the heck? Okay, this guy is a, a bona fide top 10 player in the league. That is he Matt that is top 10 quarterback. Top, top 10 quarterback. Top 10 probably, quarterback. I mean, honestly, I'd say probably nine out of the top 10 quarterbacks are top 10 players, only because you got to make room for Aaron Donald in there. But as of most influential players, I think the the first honestly, like 25 of them are quarterback, just because of how influential that the position is. Right. So the problem with Jalen Rose is, yeah, he has his own show on ESPN. It's a good show for the most part, actually. It's a pretty nice show. Pretty chill. Jalen Jacoby. 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 You call me bad with names. Jacoby. Oh my God. (laughs) Jacoby. Jacoby. Jalen and Jacoby. Jalen and Jacoby. It's actually a pretty good show. You should check it out on ESPN. But they decided to talk about the Matthew Stafford blockbuster deal that happened over the weekend, and this is what was said on Jalen Jacoby. Let's let, let, let. roll it. Roll it. God, can't believe this. I believe you ready for this. This is great for Matthew Stafford. It's great that we're going to show the pictures with him and Clayton Kershaw when they were four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old. Like that's going to help them win the Super Bowl. But let me tell you something. Anybody that says that the Rams are going to win the Super Bowl next year for adding Matthew Stafford. Y'all must ain't watched the Lions play the last decade. 
you can tell who's seen Lions games and who hasn't because right. I have to watch Lions games because I watch with you. And I'm telling you, Matthew Stafford is not bringing the Rams a Super Bowl. First of all, he's either hurt and not playing or playing and looks like he's hurt. And he well barely said. moves in the pocket at all. I mean, he has back problems, leg problems, shoulder problems, neck problems. So we will see. I'm happy for Rams. I'm happy for Sean McVay. Obviously, they soured on golf. But I'm not sure that this is a ticket to the Super Bowl for the Los Angeles Rams. I believe. I'm yeah. sure for you. <laughs> oh, yeah. man. I'm not even going to say they're going to win the Super Bowl next year. But listen, if you do not have the Rams, there's about in the NFC, right? In the NFC, Name the off. Niners. The Niners are going to be healthy next year. They have they have a, a top twelve pick next year. They're going to be back. Uh, Tampa should be back. Brady at least has another year. Tampa's going to be back. They're loaded. Green Bay, as long as something catastrophic doesn't happen, if the Rams are not one of your top four teams going into next year to come out of the NFC, shut up and don't watch football ever again okay now to talk about Matthew Stafford he's either he's either hurt or playing like he's hurt okay here's well, the thing he, buddy this Wait, year or, or I got it I got it okay okay Matthew Stafford only one time in his career has he not played a full 16 games that was last year so two years ago now recency bias that's one two first off him playing through the injuries is still look like a top 10 quarterback speaks to his toughness as, as a leader, as a player, a guy that you want to play for, like, dang, this guy's beat up. I want to play with him. He, I know he has my back, and he wants to do anything in his part to win a daggone football game. And three, it's not light. I would get it if, if he's always getting injured and he's behind the Colts offensive line, the Browns now offensive line, the Packers offensive line. He's behind bombs. Well, hold on, hold on. I will say, wait, I, I know, I know. I'm about right now, and Taylor Decker are pretty right, good. Right. But more recent, it's not like they're not Ragno and Decker for the whole ten years he's been in in, uh, in Detroit. Sure. That's more recent. And what about the other uh, part of the offensive line? It's the other three pieces. <laughs> it's been below. It's been way below average. Where the Lions ever had a defense, I will wait. I will wait until somebody can provide me an answer to when the Lions had an elite defense. Or even a better question, when has Matthew Stafford ever had a top three play caller in football? In my opinion, the second best play caller in football. I'll wait. This is good. This is really you know, good. You know, they, they might have been able to have um, have an elite defense if, if, like, Calvin Johnson played middle linebacker or free safety. They've been pretty good then. When has Matthew Stafford ever had an elite run game? I'll wait. Drake Bell? I'm playing, obviously. That was not an elite run game. Oh, crap. We're still, we're still live. He, look, all the things that the Rams has, he's never had in his career before. Again, Even, like, a plethora of weapons, too. They they have, like, they, they, they go four receivers deep, two, two, yeah, two tight ends deep, and, like, three running backs deep. He's had, yeah. Matthew Stepp, yes, he's had Calvin Johnson. That's why I, weapons I didn't really go into because he's had Calvin Johnson, Kenny Galladay, TJ Hawkinson kind of had a, a pretty solid year this year. So Even back, back in the day with, with Megatron, he had Nate Burleson right. uh, as the number. So, so he never had bad receivers, 
But boy, oh boy, he got close this year when Galladay wasn't playing. Right. You're going to a Rams team. You have the second best play caller, in my opinion, behind Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay as your coach. <laughs> hold on, hold on. I, I'm pretty sure you said with Floor earlier, did he lose that on the fourth fourth down uh, call? <laughs> that, I, said, I said 2A, 2B. You have the second best play caller in Sean McVay. Okay. You have not an elite run, but a really good running game with this uh, outside zone play action pass scheme led by Cam Akers. You have four solid receivers that really get play well in this offense and Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, Van Jefferson. Uh, Josh Reynolds, Tyler Higby as your tight end. And you have – And Gerald Everett. And Gerald Everett. You have the number one defense. If the Rams are not one of your top six teams to win the Super Bowl next year, you don't even have to say the argument. In the league. Not just the NFC. In the league. Chiefs. Buffalo. And then add those four teams I mentioned. I think you might be able to throw the Browns in at seven too. They, they have a really nice roster going in the next year. If, if they do what I do, what I suggested they do for our off-season previews, I see the recap. Go check, check it out, out on YouTube. On YouTube and on podcasting platforms. If they do those steps, I think I even said it. I think they're a year. I think I said a year away because development in, I mean, Kansas City is a, is a wrecking train. But anyway, like, come on. If the Rams are not in your top six teams in the league to win the Super Bowl next year, stop watching football, please. And I really, I really love the part uh, when, when I think it was uh, Jacoby, Jacoby, uh, buddy, Jacoby. Ah, I know I'm I said bad that with names, though. You are bad with names. It, that's that's the only one I struggle with. Um, <laughs> but um, he he said, well, you can really tell, like. As, for after this trade, after the trade response, you can really tell who's been watching the Lions game, um, games the past few years because uh, people really just don't watch the Lions play football. I'm thinking to myself, yeah, you're, you're one, one of them. <laughs> Are you, you must be one of them because from what my eyes have seen watching Matthew Stafford at least twice a year and then with extra stuff on the side, just not even live. Right. There's no it's, way you can take with the straight I mean, face. That I mean, guy's not top 10 quarterback. This man has top five arm in the league. Top three. Uh, four. He's probably number four. I forgot uh, A-Rod. Four, probably. I don't know. I think he might have a purely stronger arm than A-Rod. I think he might have a stronger one. Warner said something 1% negative about A-Rod. Hi. <laughs> Calm down. Um, A-Rod's still better overall arm talent-wise, but – he, he can hit any pass on the field, unlike some guys who are getting top five respect in Lamar Jackson. Um, just wanted to say that real quick. And really, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. One thing he also said, he can't he can't move outside the pocket or whatever. One this man has a really, really good pocket presence. Right, one of his he is so good. It's, like, it's his ability to manipulate the pocket. And he's, he's, he's no Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes. He's not a Lamar Jackson after the line of scrimmage. But he is so good. I mean, he will take his three-step, four-step drop out of shotgun, and then he's got a he's got an edge rusher coming around, so he steps up and over. But then he's got a D tackle coming, and then he's going to throw a thirty-yard dart. So, so he'll he'll back up a few steps, and then he'll throw a forty-five-yard bomb while backing up to Kenny Galladay. <laughs> I mean, and and people are saying like, listen, even though Galladay was hurt, he still had really good weapons. His number two receiver had 900 yards and nine touchdowns. That's because Galladay was hurt. 
you, you, you it's not like it, it freaking if Devontae Adams missed all but like two I guarantee games, you Al Lazar would have had Al Lazar would have had like seven, 60, 70 catches for just about a thousand yards. MVS probably would have had about a thousand yards. I mean, it's it's just who's the number one option at the time? Marvin Jones Jr. has been fading from his prime in the last, I'd say, two, maybe three seasons. He's really been – after that breakout year with the Bengals where he had like 900 yards and 11 touchdowns or something, 12 touchdowns, with A.J. Green and Andy Dalton and Tyler Eifert, he got the big contract with the Lions, and he played pretty well at the beginning of it, but he's faded out. He's aging. T.J. Hawkinson, second year in the league, played well at the end of the season, not the whole season. DeAndre Swift, when he played, I mean, he didn't play well. They had Adrian Peterson freaking starting a running back. on Johnson, whatever happened to him out of Auburn, it's 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 crazy. So they, they've invested in these younger players, but it, just the, the window with Matthew Stafford getting up there in age, the Lions about to enter a rebuild with a bunch of young talent. It wasn't going to work. They traded into the Rams. The Rams became instant, legitimate Super Bowl contenders. With golf, it was always like, well, are we going to see fumbling 14 times a season and throwing 17 picks golf? Or are we going to see, you know, game manager golf where he's throwing balls to open receivers and, and driving the Rams down the field? Because when golf made the Super Bowl, that was because of Todd Gurley and the defense and Sean McVay, not because of Jared Goff. And we saw yeah. how that played out against the Patriots in said Super Bowl. Ridiculous. Yeah, that it's, it's we've got Matt Brooks coming on in about four minutes, everybody. Yeah, so let's get to some headline five news here really quickly. Um, Warner, I'm I'm a star. You have anything to add? Let me know. Just join, uh, hop in here. All right, so let's start with this first report from Adrian Rojanowski. Um, story filed to ESPN. The NBA and NBA Players Association are progressing toward an agreement for an All Star game on March 7th, which is in the, which is about a month from now. At State Farm Arena in Atlanta, <laughs> uh, a single night event that will encompass an Eastern versus Western Conference game and skills competitions. So uh, I guess for this year, probably somewhat to do with uh, COVID or whatever, we'll, we will not have a draft this year, which is unfortunate. It's one of the best parts the past two years or so about the draft, um, about the uh, All-Star game. I'm sorry, it's the All-Star game draft, seeing two players battle over who they want on the team. Uh, that, that's that's been I mean that, that's been like the pickup style of basketball to life. So that's kind of disappointing. But anyway, we're getting an All Star game. That's better than nothing this year. I hope they go back to that format next year. Um, next, Tom Brady has said he's in some headlines this week. He says that throughout his career that he wanted to play until age forty five. However, he told reporter Jenna Lane cut from ESPN covering the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He told her that he would definitely consider playing beyond age 45. So Tom Brady, we're going to be in our 40s, Warner. Tom Brady's still going to be in the daggone league. That's insane. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, oh, man. That's hilarious. Warner, you got some? Yeah. Um, so the MLB is going to start on time. The Players Association rejected uh, the proposal from the MLB um, to delay the start. So the MLB will be starting on time. Um, April 1st, uh, opening day is April 1st. 
Camps uh, open February 17th, so in just about two weeks. Um, so we should have a regular regular spring training and uh, opening start of the season uh, for Major League Baseball, and that means a full 162 games or about that much because there's probably going to be games canceled and moved due to COVID because not everyone can get the vaccine if the vaccine rollout will even be good by April, March, or Mar uh, April May, June. Um, so that yeah. is also the Players Association um, came out with an announcement. They said late last week, the MLBPA for the first time this offseason received a proposal from the MLB to delay spring training and opening day by approximately one month. Under the proposal, the end of the season would be del delayed one week. The regular season would be shortened to 154 games, and all 30 teams would be required to play several double headers. Players would also be required to accept previously rejected pro proposals that link expanded playoffs with the expansion of the designated hitter. Although player salaries would not be initially, uh, initially prorated, uh, prorated to 154 game regular season, the MLB's proposal offers no salary or service time protections in the event of further delays, interruptions, or cancellation of the season. The MLBPA executive, executive board and, leader, and player leadership reviewed and discussed the owner's proposal throughout the weekend and today. The clear-cut result of these deliberations is that the players will not accept the MLB's proposal, will instead continue preparations for an one, a one-time start to the 2021 uh, season, and will accept MLB's commitment again, to again direct its clubs to prepare for an on-time start. We do not make this decision lightly. The players know firsthand the efforts that were required to complete the abbreviated 2020 season, and we appreciate the significant uh, and we appreciate that significant challenges lie ahead. We look forward to promptly finalizing enhanced health and safety protocols that will keep players and clubs to meet this challenge. So the MLB, once again, is going to start on time uh, for all the baseball fans out there like myself. Yeah. Um, and we have one more. Uh, we, we really, uh, Matt is about to join us. Um, one more, and this is going to be really quickly, per Shams, uh, Shams uh, from The Athletic and Eric Katz, I believe. Um, Bradley Beal does not want a trade to uh, from the Wizards. So he actually got to pull up the tweet really quickly. Um, yes, I can. Here's the tweet really quickly. Bradley Beal does want a trade from the Wizards per Brad Katz and Shams. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the time you've all been waiting for. Our next guest is our next guest on today's episode is a reporter covering the Brooklyn Nets for Nets Daily. Ladies and gentlemen, Matt Brooks. Yeah. What's up, guys? Can you guys hear me? Yeah, yep. you're all good. All right. What's up, guys? How we doing? Good. Great. Well, well first off, how are you? I mean, I've seen your tweets. I mean, it must be a pain watching uh, no defense. <laughs> Dude. That game on that game on uh what was that Sunday? That was tough. It was tough. The, the Wizards, what they had 149, they shot 31% from three. Bradley Beal scored That's impressive. 22 of his 38 in the fourth, I think. He wasn't even trying in the first yeah. half. It was crazy. Yeah, I, that was one of the worst games I've ever watched. Like on both <laughs> sides of the ball. And it like you wouldn't guess it because you're like, wow, 
150 points each and it's like right. no, I mean, that, that's a good game. I mean, where no it was it was terrible I, I i it was terrible so it's been a weird year it's been a weird year they look good though i know i gotta tell you <laughs> it's a graphic i think i saw that um after the first quarter the wizards scored like 130 something points in 32 minutes i'm like what the heck is this yeah it was it was crazy yeah it was it was uh it was odd i mean First off, you got to love them giving Westbrook uh, the, the redemption game. Yeah. <laughs> Westbrook looked pretty good. I couldn't yeah. lie. Like, the, it, it was a weird matchup for them because it kind of exposed everything that is not great with the Nets. I mean, first off, like, anything communication in terms of, like, guys, like, cutting back door, they just cannot – they're just not doing a good job. But they also had the issue of Kyrie's just a smaller guard. <laughs> and when you have Westbrook who loves to post up smaller guards. It was just a problem the whole game. Yeah. He was posting them up. So yeah, it was a weird matchup, but um, you know, it was, I, I, I'm really excited for the game tonight. I got to tell you like this Clippers game, I think we'll learn a lot about the nets because they look good on Friday, but I mean, it's the, it's the thunder, but still. <laughs> right. Now, one of the things of first since the James Harden trade, um, I've been, I mean, I don't want to sound pessimistic. I've been skeptical of the fit. How do you okay. like the fit since the trade? What have, what have you seen so far from how it's worked? And do you think this can work long-term? Um, I like the fit personally. As on offense, especially, I think they're doing the right things in terms of they're splitting Harden and Kyrie up a pretty decent amount, which I think is the right move. Um I will say in the minutes that they've shared the floor together, I've been impressed. Kyrie's played off ball a little bit more than I, that especially at first, he just like wasn't playing off ball. He's kind of gradually fallen into that. I think that's the right way to go. Um, but just for them, like they're always going to have a superstar on the floor, which mm-hmm. I think is a huge benefit for them, especially if you want to keep, and it, and it hasn't been a point of strength for them, but if you want to keep, KD and Kyrie's minutes low, which they should. There's no reason to run Kyrie in the ground, you know, in February. So I think that for them has been a nice little point of emphasis for them. The problem is they've sent all their depth away and not just their depth, but the remaining defenders they had, they're gone. So now you're looking at a situation where it's like, you basically, they just need to outscore the other team. There's, they're not going to win with defense. They're never going to win with defense. They might win one game this year with defense. Like, <laughs> it's not going to happen because they just, they don't have the personnel to be able to do that. So yeah. I've been impressed though. I think the fit's been better than I thought it would be. Um, I was skeptical at first because I was just like, this seems like three guys that all kind of need, I mean, you know, two guys, especially KD can kind of score from anywhere, but at least two guys that need the ball pretty much in their hands not all the time but it's worked out better than i expected so i i gotta give the coaching staff credit they've they've done a pretty good job with staggering the minutes yeah speaking of coaching staff steve nash who caught not not necessarily because it was him but caught some backlash for getting the job where like some people thought you know maybe a mark jackson yeah other uh coaching candidates for example would have been a better fit how have you liked the steve nash coaching hiring what have you seen from him so far I mean I mean it's a short sample size but still yeah he's been fine like I think he has games where he's good like it seems like he really gets it like but then there's other games where it's like he doesn't know how many timeouts he has and like stuff like like it's like things that you should know as a coach right and it's just like 
I get it from the perspective of like, that's Katie's guy. And this is Katie's team. Let's be honest. It's Katie's team. So I get that, but I don't know. It it just, there's certain games where I'm like, man, did you really need to take this risk? Like if they could have gotten Ty Lue, I don't know if that could have happened. Maybe if they could have though, that certainly wouldn't have been the worst thing. That team is playing really well and seems to be great basketball right now. They seem to be really, really satisfied in that locker room. Um, that just seems simplified over there. So I, I mean, that, that could have worked out pretty well for the Nets. Um, I don't think the personality aspect's been a problem. It, that's been one of the big surprises for me has been this Nets team just, they seem to get along pretty well. And I think you have to give credit to um, Kyrie and Katie and Harden now. Um, I, I think they've done a pretty good job of making the role players feel important. But in terms of other coaching aspects, it's just, there's moments where I'm like, boy, there's, I just don't know the reason <laughs> to bring in somebody who doesn't know timeouts or, you know, when to have a coaching challenge or which rotations are good and which ones aren't. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's been a little bit of a learning process. Yeah. Um, one of the guys that I think has been really well and kind of not the glue guy, but he's a big part of the success with, cause I mean, Katie, Kyrie, and Harden, they still need some help. It's Jeff Green. He's played really he's well. So good. So you're, how much of this is prized at all? What, what, uh, how big of a role has he had on this team, you think? So I think the thing with him is like when they run these lineups where you have Harden taking the ball up and then you have, um, you know, Kyrie and, oh, yeah, Kyrie and, and I guess maybe Joe Harris or sometimes KD on the other here. side of the floor, you are going to have Jeff Green. Inevitably, he's going to be open in one of the corners or at the top of the, I mean, that's been the big revelation for him. He isn't missing from the top of the key. Like he's shooting like 50% up there, which by the way, is not going to remain the case. Like (laughs) if you're playing them, let's say, let's say your Lakers are playing the Nets. You're going to say, okay, Jeff Green beat us from the top of the key. And like, that's probably a pretty viable way to beat them. The issue is that (laughs) Jeff Green is just not missing. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And I think like he does other things too. Um, You know, he's pretty good in transition just a, a good screen setter. The rim protection when he's at the five is like not there at all. Like, I mean, we're, if we're going to project a Lakers nets matchup, I don't know why the Lakers wouldn't, you know, have 70, 80 points in the paint. There's no <laughs> reason not to, unless Anthony Davis is doing the thing where he's shooting jumpers the entire game. That's it. They, they have no paint protection right now without Jared Allen. So um, but Jeff Green's been good otherwise. Like he's just doing the little things and um he's he's really he's definitely thriving off all the open space that he's getting next to these guys. Yeah. Speaking of the general trade, I mean, do you think it's possible you guys could have gotten that trade to work if that was like because I just feel like if Jared Allen was a guy you really wanted to keep, especially if you're going to face inevitably the Bucks or the Lakers. Yeah. Like, conference finals or NBA finals matchup. The, the Clippers, I think he has to be fine, but the Lakers and the Bucks, I'd be kind of worried about losing Jared Allen. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, they have gotten away in one small game. This is not a big enough sample. They got away with DJ on, on Giannis. That will not remain the case. Everybody was excited about it on my side of the world. Everybody's like, oh man, I think DJ can do it. I'm like, eh, well, I don't know about that one. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, that's not going to last that long. But um. But I will say, like, with with against the Lakers, I just don't know. Like, AD is just going to face up. He's too quick for DJ. 
And if DJ drops and he, and he just plays all the way back in the paint, you can just run, you can run a LeBron AD pick and roll or pick and pop really. And they're going to get open looks every time. So right. that matchup's really pro- problematic. Um, and it's not even like, even if he's dropped back all the way, you know, near the basket, he has no, <laughs> the verticality has gone in his game. Yeah. But you can still toss up alley-oops over his head. So, I mean, that matchup is really bad. And that's the one you want to plan for. Like, that's the thing is like, you should be looking at, I'm, I'm assuming the Lakers are going to make it back to the finals. You got to have something planned for that. Cause I just, right now, it doesn't seem like a advantage for the Nets at all. Yeah, for sure. Um, out of the teams in the East, I think it's about four teams. I mean, Miami is really struggling right now, but so you yeah. guys, Philly, Boston, Milwaukee, which team do you think is like, nope, I do not want to face them come playoff time. I, I weirdly, I don't know about Milwaukee this year. I would have said Milwaukee. I just, I don't, I, I feel like, I don't know how much of a problematic matchup it's going to be for the Nets. I just, I, and I think the Heat, they're a four away from being interesting. Like if they can do the thing that they did last year at the deadline or in the buyout market and like, you know, swing a trade for this year's Jay Crowder, like that team's interesting, but right now they're just not there. Um, so then it becomes that it's like, okay, so what are we looking at from here? Is it the Celtics? I mean, it might be the Celtics, which, I don't know. I, I I kind of just think the Nets are a better version of that team in a lot of ways. Like the, the, the defensively, the Celtics are in a different class, but you know, I, I think the Nets are going to do what they did against the Hawks a couple of weeks ago where they just targeted Trey young over and over and over. That's the problem. Like Kemba Walker is a great player. Thing is, he's going to get targeted on defense. We saw it last year, I think against, uh, I'm trying to Miami, Miami targeted him a lot. Yeah. So, I think the Nets would do that. They've showed no problem with like, let's say you stash, you know, Kemba Walker on Joe Harris and you're saying, we're going to hide him there. Well, Joe Harris is just going to go over and set a screen. And then you have James Harden ice against Kemba Walker or Kyrie Irving ice against Kemba Walker. Right. So I, I can, I just already know how that matchup is going to go. Will it be enough to win? I mean, <laughs> Kemba doesn't offer much defensively. So quite yeah. possibly, but I think the the number one matchup right now would have to be the Celtics. The Sixers are interesting too, though. They're pretty – that's a weird team for them because, again, Embiid, what are they throwing at him? What, what, do, you, what do you do for Embiid? Speaking of Embiid, he's had a spectacular year. I, so thought, good. I thought Doc was going to be great for this team and shout out to Darren Moore, you know, giving them yep. some shooters for once. But I didn't think they'd be this good. So, you know, great job to, to Doc and to Darren Moore. But um, for, I, I like the Boston team, too. I think Tatum is obviously, and there's Warner. He's back with us, I think, now. Has some technical issues. Um, Tatum has played spectacular, as expected. But Jalen Brown has taken that so extra step to be a superstar caliber player. And um, I also feel the same way about Milwaukee. Like, I mean, everybody was just raving about this Drew Holiday trip. I'm like, man, it doesn't fix the problem. Yeah. The problem Milwaukee is if you face um, – a, a Brooklyn or a Boston, these close games where you need a bucket. I'm not like you put the number one go to closer, which is, I guess, Middleton, um, which is saying something Middleton, Jalen Brown, Kemba, or Tatum, and then Boston. I mean, Brooklyn's trio. Yes. I'm not taking Chris Middleton um, over any of those guys in the clutch situation. And that guy should be honest for 
Milwaukee and it's not holiday. So that's why I wasn't raving about the uh, this trade for Drew Holiday. Yeah, the weird thing for them is like they're like when it gets tight is their go-to move is like this Giannis, Chris Middleton pick and roll. So I I like that. It's a solid it's a solid thing to work with, but I just are you really gonna be able to run that what six times down the stretch and get possession? I don't know. I just I don't believe in it all the way. And, and I mean, it's gonna come a point like Boston did against Milwaukee. Where you need you're gonna need a bucket. Sometimes that's not gonna work. You just get to tell your best player, hey, go ISO, go get us a bucket, and win this game. Yeah, Tatum did that over the defensive player of the year last year. Jalen, I have I now have full trust in Jalen Brown to go. Yeah, he's that. great. I trust Kemba. You know his shot, and he's trying to get his legs back underneath him. And then obviously, I trust the three uh, headed monster in Brooklyn. I just don't have that trust level in those close games for Milwaukee. And uh, Warner, he asked me a question. I want to get your thoughts on this a little while ago. He, this was prior to the Harden trade. He asked me, Sean, do you, are you, you got a feeling that this Brooklyn team is going to be the Clippers team of last year? Where, um, <laughs> wait, I, wait, how'd you word that one? I don't want to misquote or anything. Uh, basically, yeah, that was essentially what I said. Are, are you worried that, that this, this Nets team, um, is going to have basically like the Clippers uh, is going to end up like the Clippers team last year uh, with a lot of hype, obvious talent on the yeah. team, just not able to do anything due to chemistry issues, coaching issues, whatever it was. I, so that's a good question. Um, I think I, I'll, I'll answer it. I'll also say we're going to learn tonight. Like, I think it's funny, like speaking of the Clippers, the Clippers are going to be the test of that. Like yeah. they, you look at this last week and the two performances the Nets had one performance they're, you know, they ran one possession of zone, but they're, you know, playing really aggressively at pick and roll. They're doing a decent job against the Thunder. Not great, but decent. They come to, you know, to Washington and just play with no fire, nothing. They're letting guys get to the rim. It's just a mess. They look like they've never played together. So I think it's funny you mentioned that. I think chemistry wise, no, I don't get the feeling that there's a huge chemistry issue. There is, there hasn't been any weird, like, you know, post-game presser moments where, you know, a guy is calling out another guy or there's a weird comment where everybody's looking around like, what does that mean? Like, there hasn't been anything like that. But, you know, and the, even the coaching thing, like, I don't know. Nash has got good people around him. Some of the stuff is a little bit troubling. The, the timeout stuff can be a little bit troubling, but it hasn't been anything super worrisome. I think the basic offensive sets that they run make sense for the cast they have. The defense is a lot like the Clippers, though. A lot. It's this lack of communication. Guys don't know when they're switching, when they are. It looks a lot like the Clippers in that series against the Denver Nuggets. And I think that's where I have a little bit of pause. So yeah. that, too, is the Clippers had guys like Paul George, Patrick Beverly, and Kawhi Leonard. The Nets don't have those guys. Yeah, but those guys, and that's the thing. Like, they don't even have that one-on-one cushion. Like those guys didn't, they just didn't know how to play together. It was clear that they, they rested their guys too much. I, that's my theory, at least. I think they just didn't have enough time together because when you're running, you know, a defense like a switching defense, you just need to know how other guys play. Yep. You know, you need to know, oh, this guy, you know, he likes to, you know, pre rotate a second earlier than, say, another guy on the floor. Like guys have different tendencies. And I think you just learn that stuff when you play with them. Clippers didn't have that many reps, guys are sitting. Uh, that created a weird tension in their locker room. Nets kind of are in a similar situation. It's not that guys are sitting, 
But the issue is they've just like completely flipped their roster 20 games in. So now they have 50 games to figure this out. It's a team of not very good defenders. Like there's a ceiling to where they can get. It's what, maybe 12th defensively? <laughs> like where can they get to, honestly? Like there's, <laughs> there's a lot of pretty decent teams in the league in terms of, uh, you know, defensive pedigree. So I don't know. That would be my big concern right now. We'll learn a lot tonight. For sure. Yeah. Um, how – so we talked about a lot about this game tonight, and you, you alluded to that this is important. How, how important is this game? Is it like to see, okay, you're facing maybe the second or third best team in basketball in the Clippers, you know, see how you match up and how you can guard Kawhi, you know, <laughs> Kawhi and Paul George, you know, <laughs> how you guys match up with them in terms of you guys' offense with, uh, you know, KD, Kawhi, and Harden. Why is it such an important game to you tonight? Important game because I want to see – like, I want to see – so the big thing that I'm looking for is the – how can they avoid getting switched into mismatches? Mm-hmm. That's the thing I want to see, I, and especially with Kawhi. Like, it's like, how can you make sure he's not just getting the matchup he wants and taking that guy to the elbow? Because he's been fantastic this year. Kawhi's been so good this year. Like, you know, we're, we're going crazy over here about how KD is playing. I mean, Kawhi's having just as good of a season. It, it, like, straight up, he has been miraculous this year. So oh, yeah. I think for them, like, they got to make sure. And I, it's weird. Like, the guys I'm looking at are getting targeted. Probably Kyrie. I said what I, you know, and, and he's been good in some games. He was actually really good on the Christmas day game against uh, Tatum. Why is it different beats? He just is. And those are the things I'm watching for. How can they make sure they're not switching to bad matchups? Other thing to watch for how, <laughs> how many points does Serge Ibaka put up? Because if they played DeAndre Jordan, <laughs> the way they've been playing him against Serge Ibaka, Serge Ibaka could put up 20, 22, 25. Like it's, that's the thing I'm also watching for. So I, I think those are the main things. Centers have been interesting. How early do the Nets go small? I'm assuming it's going to be pretty early because for as great as the Clippers have been, they haven't really pressured the rim a ton. So I think you can get away with the small ball Jeff Green thing. But those are the things I'm watching. I'm just excited. It's going to be a good game overall. Yeah. Uh, Warner, Warner, and then you have maybe a question or two for Matt. Um, you brought up KD. For a guy who's who's uh, just turned thirty, or I think thirty-one now, that's torn his Achilles now, he should not be doing the things he's doing. Crazy at thirty-one, or maybe even thirty-two. I think it's thirty-one though. He's at thirty-one points, like eight rebounds, six assists. He is going crazy. What is impressing you the most about KD this year? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I think I think um, I mean the big thing that's impressed me has been the defense. Believe it or not, I know that's that's a weird thing to bring up with this team, <laughs> um, but he has shown he's had moments where he's guarded bigger guys. So he guarded Julius Randle a lot in the post. He was guarding Bam a little bit, and I just think that's a wrinkle they haven't really experimented with too much. Like you always want to save certain adjustments for the playoffs. I think that's their big adjustment. I'm not saying he's going to guard Embiid because that's ridiculous. But I do think there's going to be points where they're going to throw him on guys to try to just, you know, throw a little bit of wingspan at them and just upset the rhythm. 
So I think that's been the thing for me that I've been impressed with <laughs> just that ability to guard guys one-on-one um, they, they've been saving him. They've been using him kind of the way that the Bucks have been deploying Giannis where he's more of a guy that roams off ball, which by the so way, what I don't you're saying know. is they gave the defense player of the year award to a roaming off ball guy. I I'm with you. you. I'm with you. I, 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 you know what? I wasn't sure how I felt about this. And then I, that game happened against the, the nets where he's guarding. I don't, who is he even guarding? I, I'm, I don't even remember who he was. Guarding. Not Jimmy Butler. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's buddy. I know, I'm I'm <laughs> no, but I agree. Playoff. He should have guarded Jimmy. So I'm, I'm with you guys on that. I think that's pretty – the sides were very, very passionate on both sides. I'm definitely leaning towards he should probably guard guys in, in clutch situations. Just like I get it, it's your scheme, but that's the but, whole problem with the Bucks, right? They don't break away from their scheme ever. Right. Like you got to do that in big moments. But coach, but, but the coach didn't tell me to guard him. Yeah. You go guard the guys dropping yeah. 40 right now. Come yeah. on. Yeah. What's You're the team you're the highest paid player in history. Like, right. but I, I saw that player, like AD, I think he, I think he took a shot at Giannis. I remember in the playoffs when Jamal was just going bananas. Yeah. And AD at the time I said, no, I, I'm getting Jamal Murray. Like, I don't care. That's I, what I they did was, to Jimmy too. Jimmy yeah. No, no, it was Jimmy. LeBron like, said it to Jamal. Yeah. AD said to Jimmy, my bad. But yeah, like, I don't care. He's going crazy. That's what I'm saying. I got him. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's I so I, I think that's the adjustment that's sitting there waiting for them. Um, there's not much otherwise <laughs> defensively. That's all they got. After that, it's like, oh cool, we could throw James Harden on guys in the post. Like it's not that much. <laughs> James so, Harden's kind of strong. <laughs> he I mean, he's fine. He's he's been he's been, I think, good for the most part defensively. But yeah, they gave up a lot in that trade in terms of of, of Jared Allen and even yeah. Prince was okay this year defensively. So, you know, what can you do? Yeah. All right. Warner. Yeah. So um, my, my, my next question for you is what do you, what do you project the, the kind of spread being between the three, the three players? Because James Harden obviously could take 40 shots a game. Yeah. Drop 50 and, and be fine with it. Same with Kyrie Irving, same with Kevin Durant. Uh, I feel like Kevin Durant's the more um, kind of sniper of the three. He yep. doesn't take as many shots, but he can still get his buckets and get the points. Uh, sort of like a Devin Booker is. Yep, high percentage guy. But um, what do you what do you project the spread being, especially come playoff time when the game slows down, uh, which I think should benefit um, the Nets a little bit. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, they're playing really fast this year, which I think I think is fine for the regular season. Like, sure, get up and down the floor. It helps Joe Harris. Like, that's a guy that just leaks out in transition. Um, KD is going to get 25-30 no matter what. That guy, he can literally score everywhere. It's it's insane. <laughs> they don't have to run anything for him. He just, you know, you put him on one side. They're like stashing him in the corners, and he's putting up thirty. It's insane. It's it's insane. They'll run a couple of things for him early in the game. You know, he'll come off that screen at the elbow, and he and that's it. That's all he needs. So, I think he's going to be a guaranteed twenty five thirty. He just <laughs> there's no stopping that guy. Um, it gets interesting when you get to Kyrie and Harden, and I I think the way you're going to handle that as I mentioned this early on is staggering those minutes that just seems to work really well. Um, Harden and, and Joe Harris have got a nice little chemistry. Whenever Harris sets a ball screen for Harden, it just seems to lead to good things. A lot of times it's hair, you know, Harris kind of streaking out into open space for the, the, uh, the three pointer. If that doesn't happen, Harden can just get downhill and, and draw fouls or do the step back. Um, and then Kyrie is like, I I'm, I'm all in favor. Like, 
there's certain times where I'm like, I love to watch Kyrie go one-on-one. Sometimes I feel like it can take away from the offense when he's playing with the Nets bench, which is, it's like Landry Shamit, Timothy Luau Cavaro, <laughs> Reggie Perry. I'm like, please take all the shots. I don't need to see any. <laughs> please take them all. Give Landry Shamit a three and that's it. Because it's like their bench is, is not, it's not good. And it's not going to improve that much. I mean, unless you're a big TLC or Reggie Perry guy, um, I just, it's, <laughs> there's no reason to give these guys shots uh, except for like the occasional open three. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm in favor of that. It's weird. Like them not having as much depth, I actually think has helped their offense quite a bit because it just allows Kyrie to get a rhythm going. Whenever he's by himself with that lineup, it's like, get your shots in, come back then, play within a team construct, and then whoever's hottest at the end of the game, um, that's who takes it home. It's I, I have been pretty impressed by the offense. All right. Warner, last question. We'll let Matt, a busy person. Again, guys, we are live here with uh, Matt Brooks on Sportscaster, and this will be on podcasting platforms. Warner? Yeah. Um, so come – you guys were talking about um, Giannis – not being a good closer um, and, and how that affects the, the Bucks. How do you think the, the closing lineup is going to be, is, is going to be for the Nets? Because, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking you got Kevin Durant. He's probably going to be the go-to guy. You also have James Harden who can score off the dribble and yep. Kyrie Irving who, who can score off the dribble and has pretty much iced the finals as well. Mm-hmm. So you, you know, you got all these guys and you were just talking about staggering their minutes, which, which I think is a great idea for them. What do you think – do you think this Nets team gets exponentially better in, in the last four or five minutes of a game? Or do you think they kind of plateau or even get a little bit worse uh, with all three of those guys on the floor, say they're down by seven uh, with three minutes left? Uh, I, I mean, they just have a lot of – and, like, the weird thing, I still feel like I haven't seen the three of them together a ton because they have – Harden have missed pretty much every other game. It's been weird, which I think has been good. Like whenever KD misses, this is going to sound weird. I actually think that's kind of a good thing for the Nets because Kyrie and Harden have to play together and they have to figure that out. And it looked great against Oklahoma City. I actually think that's really good in terms of character building for the team. Um, I think if you're talking about a closing lineup, you have to have Joe Harris in there. You have to. That's spacing. He's just, he's shooting, I think, what, 47 48 on catch and shoot looks gotta have him in there he just adds so much to their spacing if you put him in the corner you either are going to end up with a wide open corner three from him or the defense can't rotate over if one of those guys gets downhill so i think you put him in there then it becomes a question of do you want jeff green or do you want bruce brown i i bruce brown has been impressive he's the one guy that i feel like if you put him in there you can kind of sag off him and say dare us to shoot He's got a nice little floater game though. Like, and, and you can just put him as the screener and stuff like that. They've been pretty creative with the way they've used him. So if they're worried about getting stops to a degree, I think you put him in. If they're like, we're just going to, we just want to go five out and, and give ourselves as many options as possible, I guess, on offense. I think you go Jeff Green, but I like both. I, I think they're in great shape at the end of uh, the end of games. So, so then what are your thoughts on DeAndre Jordan? <laughs> <laughs> DeAndre should be a backup center. I don't know what the minute spread was, but I, I, I'm kind of figuring Jared Allen was pretty much in the starting center role, and and then they they traded him. 
Yeah, no, they, uh, he, he kind of, he didn't have to do much to take the starter spot. <laughs> and he was great, by the way. But yeah, he, he was. all he had to do was give you baseline production. And uh, he went well beyond that. So, yeah, they, they got to hit a, at least a double in the buyout market. They got to do something because they can't, like, they have a rookie playing backup center. And God bless Reggie Perry. He's been good in certain <laughs> spots. He's a rookie, though. Like, it's tough. So, yeah, center rotation is difficult. All right, Matt, thank you for joining us. Um, really appreciate it. Again, guys, go check out. I think you have a show now on Sportscaster as well, basketball and more. Check down Sportscaster. And, uh, yeah, so thank you, Matt, for joining us. Um, we're going to take a three-minute break here on Sportscaster, and we'll be back in a couple of minutes. You're listening to the Sports Headline Show on Sportscaster, YouTube, podcasting platforms. Thank you, Matt. Again, as always. We'll thank you, right guys. We are live on Sportscaster um, podcasting platforms. I'm going to sit back down. I'm not like Warner. I can't just stand up a whole episode. That was fun. We have Matt Brooks just joining us here. Um, that, that, that was a fun conversation with him. Sean Davis here, Warner Sinker. Uh, but yeah, that was fun. Matt's a good dude. Good dude. Really appreciate him joining us. Helped us out with uh, OBS too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Matt. Even, even, even though the stream crashes, like, every day. Every other day. Still help us out a lot, so big thanks to him. Yeah, it, for sure. So, yeah, shout out to Matt again, guys. Go check him out. He is a reporter. Ah, crap. Out of, ah, dang, I knew I forgot something because I was I planned on asking him, um, you know, since he covers the Nets, and, like, obviously, like, I don't know if he's met Kyrie. I had a conversation with Kyrie. But, um, you know, Kyrie's a guy who idolized Kobe, right? We all know that. Or, like, any of the players that he's met, like, what's a, what's his funniest Kobe story he's heard? Uh, obviously, you know, guys, last week we spent, I think, the last – what was the 26th? That's Tuesday? Last Tuesday? Yep, last Tuesday. So a, week, a, a, week, a week ago from today, spent the day honoring Kobe, watched some highlights of good old – Kobe Bryant highlights, you know, talked about our favorite Kobe moments. So kind of, you know, upset at myself for forgetting that one. But we have some breaking news for gamers. Finally, after a long, dreadful seven years in the hole of uh, sadness, I guess. I, I got to work on my time grow. Like, this, this, you know, it didn't work. Yeah, you, you really do. Um... But, but in these past, since really, what, 2013, we have not had any sort of NCAA video game, sports yep. video game. But that is that all changing. about to change. EA Sports, this is the first time I'm going to say anything positive about them. For, EA, first time in a while, they've done something good. EA Sports just tweeted out college football is coming back, baby. As you guys can see, just on the right, like there is it's still, everybody is excited, pumped up for this. Um, and it will be coming. Actually, ESPN did a report on this as well. Hold on, let me find it for you guys, uh, these specific details. But, yeah, baby, I am excited right now. Here's ESPN's report. They said, breaking news, EA Sports is rebooting its college football series for next-generation consoles. The announcement ends the hiatus that the game has taken. Since then, Michigan quarterback Denard Robinson appeared on the cover of NCAA football 14. Warner, we have about three minutes here before we get to part two of today's episode. 
um, which would be a lot shorter, obviously. What is your immediate reaction following this news? And Warner is gone. But anyway, I guess I'll go. Um, man, oh man, this is so exciting. Um, being a college football fan, <laughs> um, you know, this just is, I'm so excited. I can't wait um, for uh, what's next in Man of Man. So that's going to end part one. Um, and we're going to go over to part two of the episode. So see you guys over there. Give us about 45 seconds. We'll be right back. You're listening to the most authentic place in sports, the sports online show. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Sports Headlines, the most authentic place in sports, sports. This is part two of today's episode. Go check out part one, which is earlier, which was a live, uh, live streamed on Sportscaster. We were joined by Matt Brooks, reporter uh, for the Brooklyn Nets, cover, uh, Nets Daily, talked about some NBA news. Today was more of a weirder episode. We are joined now by Ryan, who was on a previous episode from the LA Football Network. What's up, Ryan? What's up, fellas? Thanks for having me back on. Excited to uh, get back on and chat with you. Yeah. Um, first, um, I just want to give a shout out to you because yesterday you posted a tweet about your daughter and her journey. This was that was inspirational, and thank you for that. So oh, thanks, man. Um, Appreciate it. Yep. So let's get to I know it's probably been a busy week or so for you, but first off, before we get to the golf news, I saw that you interviewed Marshall, Hall of Fame running back Marshall Falk. How fun was that for you guys? Oh, it was awesome, man. It was, uh, you know, what a blessing and opportunity. Had him on yesterday. Uh, just an awesome dude, uh, you know, knows football. You never know, too, when you get, like, I don't want to call him an old-timer, but, like, players that have been retired, how much they still pay attention to their former teams. And he's all in the know with the Rams and knows all the what's going on, talks to the guys a lot. So, um, but, yeah, just a cool dude, super humble. It was great uh, having him on and, and chatting with him. And, and I always love when I, you know, whenever we have players on, him and the players in Frosty, I just turn my mic off and let them just talk. Just <laughs> tell stories so always fun for me yeah just just let them go exactly um, so obviously it's been a big week for you now, but besides that um jared golf over the weekend was traded to the um to the lions for matthew stafford and a blockbuster deal how does this affect you know the uh the rams future outlook for in your opinion and they're potential yeah well, i feel like rams off season is more busy than the rams during the season it's like never a dull moment covering the rams covering with left sneed and um you know i was skeptical a, a deal could get done for any of the quarterbacks i know a lot of fans wanted deshaun watson and there was leaks about aaron Rodgers. and uh but i did think the most realistic one of potentially happening was stafford if they really wanted to make a move and and obviously they did they were they were willing to give up you know a king's ransom if you will uh, giving it away two first round picks and a third um, in exchange for Stafford plus Jared Goff, obviously. But I mean, overall, I think on the surface, it's got to be a good move because you upgrade the position. Uh, you know, Jared Goff is what he is. I know Rams fans were sick and tired of him. I think he can still be a, a starter in this league. I don't think he's a horrible quarterback by any means. He just needs a good system around him and a good supporting cast. And, and yeah, I think he had that here in LA, but they just got a little outside of themselves and kind of asked him to do things that really wasn't in his repertoire. So we'll, we'll see what he does in Detroit and Anthony Lynn's system that will obviously be run heavy and it could end up being, 
you know, a better landing spot for him and his trajectory in his career. But for the Rams, I think it's, in my opinion, no question, Matt Stafford's an upgrade. I mean, he's a top five arm talent, top 10, top 12 overall QB. I think obviously the wins aren't really there. How we, you know, we can go down this rabbit hole if that's uh, because what of the wins organization he was on. What was that? Wins are a team stat. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't, I don't put a lot of stock in that either, but you know, some people do, but, um, but I still think Stafford's a great QB and the, and the important thing in the NFL is you would need to upgrade your at positions. And that's what they did. They upgraded at the quarterback position. Um, so this is a team that, you know, still has a lot of question marks going into free agency, currently sitting 35 million over the cap. They have big free agents on their John current Johnson. roster, John Johnson, um, Leonard Floyd, on the back end, they got Troy Hill and Darius Williams, who aren't going to be extremely expensive, but still guys that they would like to bring back. So, so those are just four names right there that they need to get under the cap just to bring any of those guys back. Um, so they got a lot of work to do still. I know everyone's like, oh, this is a win-now move, which it is. But if you lose all four starters on defense, how much better off are you really? But overall, they upgraded the QB position, so I think it's a, a good move on the surface level right now. We'll see how it plays off once the season gets rolling. Yeah, so we have an idiot of the day segment, and our idiot, where I basically like it's a an analyst doesn't even have to be an analyst. Like I find something um, that I just find a statement or whatever that I just find idiotic. And today's idiot of the day was Jalen Rose talking about football for whatever reason, and he talked about how like um, there's no way the Rams are gonna like basically calling the Rams they're not gonna be contenders with Matthew Stafford. So like, have you watched the Rams game in the past ten years? And I'll say, no, if the Rams are not in your top six teams to potentially win the Super Bowl next year, you're crazy. Am I the only one? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, well, the Rams have made the playoffs three of the last four years, so they're going to be competitive. I don't think that should be a question. Um, Whether they're the Super Bowl favorite, now that we can debate, because as I mentioned, of the guys that they could potentially be losing, and I I think they, you know, Sneed's proven that he kind of goes against the rules and can finagle the cap, and if they restructure some deals and and do that, they can get back in in good graces and at least bring a few back. But but yeah, I, I don't know why anyone would say that they wouldn't even be a competitive team or in contention. I think they certainly are, considering what I just said, three of the last four years been in the playoffs, even the year they missed the playoffs, they were nine and seven where they would have made it if they were in this format where there's seven teams now. So technically they could have been in four or four years. So um, I always find it funny. That's why I don't do it, but I always find it funny when, when certain analysts will cross the island to other sports. Like that's why I don't talk basketball because I would sound like an idiot <laughs> half the time. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, the Rams are going to be competitive regardless of if they get those guys back or not. The real question is, are they the Super Bowl favorite of the NFC? And that we'll see once free agency and the draft comes around. Yeah, that, that's funny you mentioned it because the exact thing I said was like, you don't go to Dan Oblowski for, for basketball. You go to him for football. You'll go to yeah. Jalen Rose for football. You go to him for basketball. Yeah, and I have no problem. I mean, everyone can say their two cents, but we'll just call you out on it for being dumb. <laughs> right. <laughs> Warner? I don't think Warner. I think Warner's having a second. Okay, never mind. Warner? Yeah, man, my computer just totally disconnected from the Wi-Fi for whatever reason. Um, yeah, I, I found that statement ironic um, in terms of how Jalen Rose was talking about Stafford. But my, my question for you is, um, what, what's your priority in these four defensive free agent guys? Because, you know, I'm lower on Leonard Floyd, but I'm higher on John Johnson and Troy Hill. Um, what, what's, your, what's the order of, of the priority that you think the Rams should uh, approach those at? That's a great question, Warner. Uh, you know, I, I 
loved what Leonard Floyd did. I think he, you know, had a career year, obviously the numbers speak for themselves. I think he rejuvenated his stock and, and he'll get paid probably double digit uh, millions this year. And I think it's a foregone conclusion. He will not be a Ram. So I don't even think he'll be a priority just because there's no way they can afford him. And I think John Johnson or Leonard Floyd, Leonard Floyd. Okay. And so I, and I think because too, they have a guy in, uh, you know, Terrell Lewis, they drafted last year at Alabama who was banged up a lot this year. It's kind of been his MO his whole career, but he is an elite pass rusher when healthy. So I think their hope would be that he can slide in. And obviously he's a much cheaper option than getting him in the, I think the third or the fourth round this last year. So if they let Leonard Floyd walk, the hope would be he could slide in and then they'd probably draft another guy mid round. That could be another edge rusher. Obviously they still have Ogo Okoronkwo. I was a, it's a mouthful to say, but Obo Okoronkro uh, should be back as well. Um, John Johnson is one of my favorite players on this Rams team. I wanted, I want to say he should be a priority, but I think the writing was on the wall when they drafted two safeties last year. They just knew that they were have a long shot of re-signing him unless he took a really team-friendly deal, which you know he's been playing under a rookie deal and he's earned it. I mean, he's earned the free agency to go out there and get paid. You know, he's, come to the Chargers. He's a top elite. He would fit great with the Chargers alongside Derwin James playing for Brandon Staley again. So I loved uh, John Johnson. I, I'd like to say he's a priority. I just don't think he is just because of what he'll demand again in the free agent market. And because they drafted Trail Burgess and Jordan Fuller this year, they already have Taylor Rapp. They spent a second round pick. When you have three top end safeties that you spent high draft capital on, you're kind of planning your future around that. And obviously they have Nick Scott too, who's a really good special teams guy that played some last year too. So Warner to actually answer your question before just the long, uh, long-gated way of going around to it. The two, top two got to be Darius Williams and Troy Hill, so, who they can both probably re-sign, you know, under $2 million per year. I know they had both really good years. I just don't think their value after one season is going to skyrocket that much. I think a lot of in media and fans see one player have a great year, and they think their value skyrockets. Uh, I know, obviously, I just mentioned Leonard Floyd will go up, but he was still a first-round pick. We saw the talent there, whereas these guys were – you know, undrafted guys or guys that kind of bounced around and they had a really good year in a really good system with some really good players alongside them. But I think they'll be able to get them a lot cheaper, but I think they're very, very important for what this defense does and that continuity on the back end when you're already losing all this, these coaches on the coaching staff and you're going to be losing most likely John Johnson and Leonard Floyd. You want to bring back some continuity. So I think Troy Hill and Darius Williams should be their, um, their you know, focal point of who to bring back. Yeah, um, I think personally, I think Leonard Floyd is actually going to get grossly overpaid um, for his protection. I think really rush pass rushing alongside Aaron Donald really helped his career out. Um, I, I don't see him as necessarily a high end pass rusher, similar to what happened with, and I'm forgetting his name, but for the Falcons, he left the Rams. Dante Fowler. Yeah. Dante Fowler. Yeah. Um, yep. what, what happened to him? You know, he was that kind of bendy edge rusher, speedy guy um, coming around with Aaron Donald in the middle. And had a nice season with the Rams, but then um, leaving Aaron Donald going to that Falcons defense, even though they have Grady Jarrett in the middle rushing the passer, who is a really, really good pass rusher, he, he still didn't produce necessarily to the level that he was being paid. And I think that's going to happen to Leonard Floyd as well. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I, I think he, and like I said, I think he will get paid double digit. Now, is he worth that? That's a whole other conversation, but someone's going to pay him probably. And that's where the Rams can play this smart, and if they're able to free up enough cap space, bring in an underperforming free agent rusher. I, I haven't, I don't have the list in front of me, but there's always every year there's a few guys that have underperformed that, that they can come in and maybe you know alongside Aaron Donald can overperform. So I think that's a much better route for them. Play with their rookies, maybe draft another guy and bring in a really cheap free agent option that can line up on the outside. Yeah. Um, so let's transition to the Chargers. By the way. If you guys don't remember, the first time we had Ryan on, 
He warned us about Brandon Staley getting a head coaching hire, and Lord of behold, he gets hired by the Los, my Los Angeles Chargers. Um, what are your thoughts on the Chargers hiring him? Do you think they should have an offensive coach? Um, and then also, second part of that question is, um, how do you like the staff that Coach Staley has put together so far? Yeah, I mean, obviously, bummed for the Rams. They lost a great, great coordinator. But I, I love the hire. I, I, you know, on your show last time, I talked about a lot even before that I think Brandon Staley is going to be one of the great next young coaches. Just the way he communicates, the way he connects with his players. You know, you can get into schematically and all the smarts and stuff. But I think as a head coach, it's more important how you lead, how you how you connect with your players, and obviously some stuff on the sidelines, you know, game management and stuff. We'll, we'll see how that plays out. I know a lot of Charger fans want, I'll be watching that very closely, but, but I think it's a great hire. I think he'll, he'll be a great fit. I think it's awesome. He doesn't even have to move. I mean, he'll probably move closer down to Orange County, but doesn't have to move anywhere out of state. Um, his family gets to stay local. And I think he'll fit right into that charge organization. And, and I like the staff so far. I know Joe Lombardi is kind of a, there's a lukewarm. Some fans are loving the hire. Some fans hate it because they think of his time with Detroit. But I think the fact that he's been with Sean Payton and Drew Brees for almost a decade, uh, first time and then a break with Detroit and then going back, um, taught him a lot. You know, they, how they can use Austin Eckler, sim- similar to like an Alvin Kamara. It's going to be really fun to watch how they can utilize the receivers a little better. Um, so I think, I think he'll end up being a really good hire. And, uh, you know, I like the defensive hire. Ronaldo Hill obviously has a history with Brandon Staley being with the Broncos, played safety in the league for a while. Um, one of those not known guys, I feel like when he was actually announced, a lot of people were like, who but that was what people were doing Brandon Stilley was hired last year so yeah. I think he's he's a guy that he felt his relationship was was key they had the same mindset and then also Ronaldo Hill's a guy that connects with his players being a player's coach and that's super important and we'll see what they can get out of um, this back end and I think he'll have a lot of influence on you know Derwin James and and if they bring back Mike Davis in free agency and Rayshon Jenkins and all these guys I think he can elevate to a higher level and, uh, you know, lastly, the, uh, the special teams hire, I, I love his hire. I mean, he's been around the league for a long time. Um, Darius, Coach Darius as a, you know, assistant special teams coach. I think he was a special teams coordinator with the Niners. Um, but, you know, just approaches the game a little differently, really puts an emphasis on the importance of special teams, which is what the Chargers have been lacking for quite some times, especially last year when they were the worst, like historically. So, so overall, I, I think this is a really good staff. You know, they're bringing in other guys. Uh, you know, tight end coach from uh, the Raiders, who I think actually we're going to have on our show soon, which will be really fun to pick his brain and, and some other really good set pieces. Joe Barry, who I know is now interviewing for the Packers defensive coordinator job, but but he's currently the uh, on the on the staff of the Chargers as well. So so overall, I think they're building their staff out really well. And I, I'm excited about what this Chargers team uh, can look like moving forward. Yeah, you brought up the Raiders. Uh, well, now the new tight ends. I'm going to have to check that out. Really excited to learn more about him. Um, we also, yeah, Shane Day, as he's now the passing game coordinator and quarterback yeah. coach, guy who worked with Kyle Shanahan. Um, for, I, I really like our, our uh, coaching staff this year going into the season. Um, uh, Steven said it yesterday. See, seems like we'll be a little bit better in situational football this year, which is which would be an, uh, a yeah. delight to have. Um, My favorite moment of the Chargers season was Herbert throwing up that Hail Mary that Mike, I think Mike Williams caught. It might have been Guyton. And then uh, they get down to like the two yard line with 20 seconds left, clock running, no timeouts, and they run the ball twice in a row and don't get in it. Yeah, that was that was a rough. That, I think that was the game that did Anthony Lynn in. I think that was the one. And, oh, then, after that, and then after that's yeah, when they got blown yeah. out by the Patriots. But I think the Buffalo game was when it was yeah. a foregone conclusion. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, yeah, this guy, he's gone. He's gone officially. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, and I'm happy for. I hope he does well in the Detroit because he is a great guy. Uh, it yeah. just didn't work out here. So, um, but yeah, I love this staff. I think uh, it's a staff that I. You see a lot of times when new coaches end up hiring a bunch of retread coordinators because they're like, I'm new. I need someone with experience. And I like that he's kind of going outside the box and bringing up still new guys. I know obviously Lombardi has been around the league, uh, was a coordinator for two years, but you know, he's been mostly a QB coach and I love that Ronaldo Hill's never been a coordinator. So it's just bringing up some new blood, um, building some diversity on the staff. So I, I think they've done a really good job so far. Yeah, I love it. I believe uh, Coach Darius was in Denver when Brandon Staley. It was either Chicago or Denver. I think it was Chicago. I don't, I don't Chicago. Know yeah, I think you're Chicago. right. It was Chicago, yeah. Um, so, yeah, the Chargers pick 13 in the draft. So we talked about this yesterday with Steven as well. Well, first, do you think Orlando – there's a lot of Orlando Brown trade rumors. It kind of came out of nowhere, at least to me anyway. Do you think that's really realistic? And if it is, and the Chargers don't have to go a pick 13, you still go offensive line, even if you get Orlando Brown. Yeah, I don't know where those talks came out. I mean, it's fun. That's what makes the offseason fun is some of this stuff just comes out of nowhere. I mean, if they can get it for not giving up a ton of value, I mean, it's a slam dunk trade. I think Orlando Brown, uh, he was one of my favorite tackles coming out of the out of the draft. And then he had that horrible combine and somehow he fell to the third round, which I think is why the combine can be silly at times. Um, Cause you know, people talk themselves out of players that put up good tape and play good game day, uh, which is really what matters. Um, and he's proven to be a really good uh, offensive lineman in this league. If they were to somehow pull it off and keep 13, in my opinion, I still think they go offensive line just because that's the unit that needs the most work, needs the most upgrade. And if you were able to add him to that right side, that's already obviously injury is a concern, but if, you know, Brian Balaga, Trey Turner, you add him to left tackle, and then whether or not you're bringing back Feeney and Lamp or you even address at 13 and getting a guard or someone else inside there or a center, um, that just automatically has a really, really substantially improved offensive line because, I mean, you have weapons on the outside, you have a, a solid running back room. You're never going to take a running back there anyway. I think that's silly. Um, you obviously have your quarterbacks. So the offense, really, the only adjustment you need, obviously, pending what happens with Hunter Henry, is the offensive line. And on defense, Brandon Staley, if he's shown anything, he's going to get the bet, the most out of his players and doesn't necessarily need the biggest top-end talent. As long as he's got Bosa and Derwin, around that he can fill in role players that can really uh, substitute and play very well. So I think offensive line is the, the biggest key to making this team really click. Warner. Yeah, um, I, I think going going forward into this draft, you see maybe them trading back and grabbing the Wyatt Davis or Creed Humphrey, even um, as that interior offensive lineman. Or do you see him maybe addressing uh, tight end? Maybe maybe Kyle Pitts falls or trading back, getting uh, if I can say his last name right, Pat Friermuth out of Penn State, mm -hmm. uh, whatever his name is. Um, or or do you see him maybe addressing corner because their corners are aging with Chris Harris Jr. And Casey Hayward, they're they're both aging, um, and and Brandon Staley ran a lot of man coverage with Jalen Ramsey and the crew back in back with the Rams. Um, what, what do you see them necessarily trying to to address in, in their top, let's say three picks if if they if they do get Orlando Brown? Really quickly, Kyle Pitts is not a tight end. Let's as Steven said, we need to get a, a new position title for Kyle Pitts. Yeah, I mean, he's like Kyle Pitts isn't a bad blocker though, so I think you can still squeeze him in there, but um, he is best utilized not on the line of scrimmage blocking on run plays. Yeah, exactly. And the, the I mean, teams usually bring in a blocking tight end anyway because the new premier tight ends, for the most part, obviously, you know, I think Kelsey's pretty good, and 
uh, some of these other guys are good, but the, the newer premier tight ends are usually not great blockers anyway. But, you know, I think to answer your question, Warner, you have to really look at the history of Tom Telesco's draft. Could we consider all I want? Like, oh, this makes sense to do this. Uh, I would move back, collect picks, take this guy. But Telesco's shown us that he really doesn't move. Like, he stays pat. Like, I think last year is the first year in a while I can remember them trading back into the first round to take Kenneth Murray. Usually, where their ticks, picks fall is where they draft, right? Like, every year it's like, okay, they have six, 42, whatever, and they just usually stay pat and take the best player available or position of need at there. But if last year showed us anything that he did trade back in, made a little move there, now bringing in this new coaching staff, you know, is you know, adopting analytics, taking a different approach to doing things, having a more forward thinking mindset. I think they could kind of change up their drafting um, style. If, if it was me, I would just kind of play the board, how it falls. If you see a, a large number of offensive linemen go early and you're, you're thinking at 13, the best available, you had a grade in, in the second round or late first round, then I would certainly trade back. You don't want to reach for that. And you don't also want to reach for a, I know best player available is always a good option, but if it's not a position really of need for this team that I think can go from a seven win team to a playoff team, if they, if they do this draft and free agency, right, just because the talent's there, if they just need to be healthy. Um, so for me, if, yeah, if one of those, those big name tackles, you know, obviously pending to what happens with Orlando Blount Brown, I would trade back. I like Kyle Pitts. Um, I just, I think they have other needs and I know even if they lose Hunter Henry, it's like, okay, well, yeah, Kyle Pitts is an easy replacement. Um, but I just think, you know, he's a game changer. He did amazing stuff at Florida, but I just think they go another direction. To me, it's kind of offensive line or bust for the Chargers, at least in the early rounds. Yeah. All right, last two questions. We'll go a little more draft-related here. So the senior bowl practice in the game just happened, I believe, at the end of last week. Who's your biggest winner going uh, after the senior bowl? Well, I think there was a, there was a lot of good players that uh, I was able to watch. I, I want to get more into the film um, looking back on it. But one guy, and it, it, I don't want to sound like a homer pick because we cover him, but I think he was talked about a lot nationally is Demetric Felton uh, out of UCLA, played running back and receiver, obviously played full receiver at the Senior Bowl. Um, but this is a kid that I think not a lot of people, if you don't watch UCLA football, probably not a lot of people around the country knew who he was, knew his name. Um, and I think he made a name for himself. He's an explosive, dynamic player. Uh, just needs the ball in his hands and he makes things happen. There was games last year where they'd give him just a, a screen pass and he just would make guys miss, turn it in nothing into something. Um, he could run between the tackles. I know he's not the biggest frame, but at 5'10", 200, he does have some meat on him, some strength. So uh, he can really play anywhere on the field. And, and for a team like the Rams or the Chargers, uh, I think he would be an amazing playmaker to add to that arsenal, add to those quarterbacks that we now have in L.A., um, and he just did amazing things in practice and then also had the first touchdown of the game, which helps kind of kind of uh, prove what he did in practice all week long. So he was kind of my biggest winner just because he was a guy that there was a lot of players that, you know, people knew about and then they played well as well. So, OK, cool. They they proved what we thought. He was a guy that not a lot of people nationally knew about. And also was like, whoa, who is this kid? This Demetri Felton kid can play. And it, when you see now in the NFL that these I don't like calling it gadget players that seems gimmicky, but players that can play all over the field, have a much bigger role in today's NFL than they did maybe just five years ago. Because last thing I'll say, I know a lot of people bring up, especially when I've talked about, I think you'd be a great fit with the Rams. A lot of people bring about um, uh, the, the fact they drafted Tavon Austin years back uh, with the eighth overall pick. And like, oh, I don't want another Tavon Austin. It's like, well, first of all, very different offense, very different NFL, the way games played. And different also, Demetri also Felton, you know, is 30 pounds heavier two yeah. inches taller and uh and can do a lot more of the football than just a speed guy so 
Um, yeah, Felton's my guy this week. I think really proved himself, and I think he could move into a second-round pick, personally. Okay. And outside, like, it could be any prospect now. Who's one guy – it could be it could be Dimitri Felton, but who's one guy that you feel people are just not paying attention to in terms of the draft process or you think who can really surprise some people where they get drafted? Oh, that's a good question. And it's, it's, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I, I'm not fully in my, my draft war room, especially with everything going on with the Rams and this trade and stuff. So I need to, I need to dive more into, uh, <laughs> but, you know, speaking specifically of, of just LA, um, you know, Osa Odigizua, who is also the senior bowl is a really good, you know, he played play, really well. Yeah. yeah. Could play three tech D D tackle or move the outside if he is a smaller frame. So I think he's a guy that will surprise people and get drafted probably higher than a lot of people expect. He does have a brother in league as well. So um, has a lot of football IQ there. Um, you know, there's some USC players, Warren G's son who plays corner, who's not a lot of people talk about, but I think he's a corner that will get drafted fairly high. And, uh, he just plays with a a mean, nasty mentality, uh, which you want from a corner sometimes kind of not in the sense of being boneheaded, but kind of plays similar to like a Marcus Peters, where he just plays with a chip on his shoulder all the time. He's not, he doesn't do the dumb things like Marcus Peters does with penalties, but, um, I think he's another kid that I think can surprise people. So uh, not the best answer for you, but I, I need to dive more into it. But those are some guys, at least in the LA circuit that I think uh, will end up turning some heads. And if they, you know, their pro days and stuff, they can implement that more. But I think those are guys to kind of look for through this process. Warner, any closing yeah, questions? Real quick, how do, you, how do you think the, um, the pro day format, do you think that's just going to be adopted full time by the NFL? Um, or, or do you think this is, you know, the draft obviously is televised. It makes a lot of money for a lot of people. Um, but but do you think the pro day is a better approach to um, do I guess pre-draft workouts for for players after the senior bowl and after their college careers um, for them to get noticed? I I think the combine will be back. Uh, I think it's been a few years now where the pro day actually is more telling, and I think scouts and GMs put a lot more stock on pro days and they do the combine. The combine's more of a fun networking. You do the interviews. Uh, I think it does earn the league revenue because it's become like, you know, guys sit around all day watching NFL network, watching the combine, talking about it, talking about measurables. So I think it is still a money grab for the NFL. So that's why I think it'll be back. But in in my opinion, it's been a few years now where the pro day holds more stock. I mean, the Rams last year didn't even send anyone to the combine because they just like, Oh, we'll just watch it virtually and we'll conduct our pro days and, and go to those. So, so I think those hold more stock anyway. Um, but the combine is just, you know, more of a fun event that's, you know, historical and, and I think still does make a good revenue for the league, even though there's no like fans or anything just with TV deals. I think they do make a yeah. good, a good clip from it. So, um, but yeah, the pro days are, are more uh, uh, sustainable anyway. So I think that won't change. And then we'll just have the combine back next year for, for fun. <laughs> All right. This is also the day where NCA football is coming back. Don't know how excited I am because I'm more EA. Don't mess it up, please. Like, I got really excited. I was like, ah, crap. We're not going to get real players. So, all I know is the graphics are going to be so much better. So, so much excited. You'll still be able to um, customize rosters and stuff, though. So, there you go. That was probably the last video game I played was in CAA back in 2005, I think, was the one I had when Vince Young was uh, the cover, I think. Yeah. I used to always play with. uh, Either well, my buddy would always play with Texas, and I always play with uh, West Virginia, who had Pat White, and you just you just use the QB to run all over the place. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. Uh, you you have to start by playing again. All right, guys, thank you guys for listening to part two of today's episode featuring Ryan from the LA Football Network. Go check them out. He also mentioned they'll be uh, having 
the tight ends coach now formerly of the Raiders, now my Chargers joining his show coming up and go check out his episode with Hall of Fame running back Marshall Folk. A lot of great stuff over there. Thank you, Ryan, for joining us and peace out. Thanks, fellas. Appreciate you. Take care. Yep.